0: Praise God. I heard a joke this week. I don't think I've ever in 15 years here started off a message with a joke. But I think it connects to what I wanted to share with you today. So I think maybe I just remembered it while I was playing the drums up there. So um, aliens came and they uh, landed on the earth and the Pope went out to meet them. And um, and he started to you know, get to know them a little bit, and he said, hey, um, so do you know the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we know him. We love him. Yeah, he comes to our planet every year, and we give him cookies and chocolate. Why, what'd you do when he came to you? Oh, man, see, I thought that was so much more funny. We <laughs> crucified him. You remember that? All right, man, sorry. I, I guess I got a different kind of sense of humor. <laughs> but I do. this time of year, I know. I, I always uh, my first encounters with Jesus before I even understood what was happening happened at Christmas time. I uh, grew up in this Episcopal church, and Christmas time we always had this late night service, and we had to go to it before we could do anything at home. So, so I went grudgingly at first, but as I got older, I realized we're just singing carols, which is the gospel to song, and we're reading scriptures. So there was nobody telling goofy jokes and stuff like that to mess up the atmosphere. And I remember feeling something. I felt my heart moved, and I think I might even have shed a tear or two every once in a while, which I didn't do back in that, that season of my life growing up. And um, there's something about the whole world. You Think about it. I know there's some weird pagan stuff that got mixed in, and many people don't understand what Christmas is about. It's kind of a you know funny thing to ask kids what, what it's all about, and and, that, and you get different answers. But we, really, we ought to celebrate the fact that the entire world... I mean, every single nation honors Christmas in some kind of a way. Yes, we took over a pagan holiday. Jesus had a 1 in 365 chance of being on, born on December 25th. So we don't know exactly what day he was born. Personally, I think it was more springtime, closer to the Passover. Being the Passover lamb, he would have been born, you know, at that time. That's my belief. Doesn't, don't, don't write that down. Don't take notes on that. That's just. But the fact that the whole world stops and honors it. It's like, for once, you know, that that carol, we made it a Christmas carol, wasn't written as such. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Like, that proclamation's been going out for centuries now since that hymn was written. And the earth, in some way or another, at least pauses. And I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to fan the flames of that awaken to the reality of why it is why is it that everybody says peace on earth why is it that you know until we got these black friday black eye friday kind of things going on and you know walmart and whatnot remember it started with the cabbage patch dolls you remember that That's what started it, Cabbage Patch Kids. They were spawned in hell, I think, because that's when people started getting in fist fights. Remember, in 84, I think it was, people getting in fights over, you don't need six Cabbage Pats, my daughter will lose her mind if I don't have one. It was just insane. And ever since then, I don't know, it was just a new thing, maybe just more of a reflection of where our culture has gone than anything else. But when the world says, We're going to stop. We're going to sing. I mean, even on, you know, I remember on the rock station, WJTL, that I listened to growing up, they'd play Christmas carols and uh and it's the gospel in song so praise god for that i mean i I fan the flames of that lord make every heart understand the words that are being played over the speakers and the stores and 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 things that we don't i mean it's the only time of year you can guarantee you're going to hear the name jesus christ yeah i know all about that whole you know you can't say merry christmas and that's a blah 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 whatever the whole world stops to celebrate christmas And it always strikes me that the thing about Christmas that always struck me was that the first Christmas, nobody knew he was coming. They didn't even have room for him to be born. Only two people in the whole world And then some shepherds, you know, because the angels came and visited them, even understood the Son of God just came. God has become flesh, and he is among us right now. That prophecy of Emmanuel Isaiah spoke of 500 years ago. It's happening right here quietly. Nobody even knew it happened, and so it always is with the kingdom of heaven. Like a mustard seed, Jesus said, it always comes in secret. It always comes in a way that only the wise, only the ones who can see beyond what all eyes can see will even recognize how glorious it is what God's doing. And that's what, uh, as we share this season, we really felt like we want to really learn how to host the presence of God. It's our most important core value. It's the most important aspect of our vision. Without it, everything else is meaningless. We don't have anything to offer the world unless we become really good at hosting his presence. So today I want to talk to you. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 100. I'll join you there in just a moment. Um, But I want to talk about uh, Thanksgiving It is Thanksgiving weekend. This was not on purpose, but did you know there was a psalm written for Thanksgiving? It's Psalm 100. I'll show you. It's the title of the psalm. I'll get there in a minute. Here's what God's doing with us. Here is what is most important for us. You want to solve. How many of you have sat around campfires, have sat around in your living room, have sat over coffee with a friend, and you solved all the world's problems while you were sitting there? You know just what should have happened with that. Aspect of the election and that part of the government and what they ought to do and what they should do and, and you saw you got all the world 's problems solved well i 've got an actual one that 'll solve all the world 's problems this was a, I remember this um, this cartoon thing that showed up in a magazine I used to subscribe to was it time? I think I might have at one point in my life subscribed to Time magazine and it was a a girl whose father um, there was a picture of the world on it, and um, the father had ripped it all up because he was frustrated and because this girl was being too Pollyanna about something. And on the backside of it was a picture of Jesus in the manger, like a Christmas time thing. And uh, so the world was so jacked up. The little girl didn't know geography. She didn't know how to do it. So she came back to her daddy and she had the, the world all taped back together again. He said, how did you do that? You don't know geography. You don't even know what the world should look like. And on the back, she she, put, she said, well, on the other side, it was a picture of Jesus. And I figured if I put him all back together again, then the world would come back together again. I thought, man, that was so deep. Yeah. Amen. Now, if that was Time Magazine, pray for a restoration of that. Yes. <laughs> in there. But that, but that is the picture. We have the solution. And it goes far beyond our wisdom with what needs to happen in government and in school and in all the other mountains, as we call them. It's the mountain of the house of the Lord that needs to be established above all the mountains, and all the nations will run to it, as Isaiah also prophesied. And here's what, the, what Jesus said, what, what the vision of the church is. You know what our most important thing is? It, it's not first to go out and just fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah, that is still great, and it is still our commission. It's not first to feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, and and set captives free. That's not first. That will happen when first becomes first again. The first and most important thing today is as it was when the first high priest was established and all of his sons with him. When the new kingdom priesthood, the new covenant priesthood came in, it's the same call. Set apart my people that they might minister to me as priests. That's what our call is, first and foremost. If we don't do that first, we'll fall short in every other thing. We've had some great success in 2,000 years of doing many things. The body of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the church of Jesus Christ has transformed the world. And, and as Stephanie so well exhorted earlier, if all you recognize is bad news and this is falling apart and that thing is still war and it's still famine, it's still all of this stuff, I encourage you to just start reading a bit more and get a bigger, broader perspective. Compare life now to when Jesus came into that manger. The world's an intensely better place to live. I used to fantasize when I was a kid about I wanted to live during the days of nights because, of course, I would have been one. I would have been the best one right? And then I, then I took some history and I learned that during that time was bubonic plague and the raw sewage ran above ground down the cobblestone streets of London and people died, like half of Europe died in that plague. Forget COVID man, bubonic plague. That was where it was at and it spread by mice and all this stuff we didn't know till later and it was an awful time to be alive. This is the best time to be alive. I got like four of you with that. I see we need to do the end times class again. Get some facts out there because facts trump what the message is. The bro- it's like hell took over the broadcast. And it's like all we're going to hear now is bad news. I got good news for you. Like the angels said, bring you glad tidings of great joy. And it's going to be for all the people, for all the peoples for all time. So here's what we are, what the scripture says about us in whom, this is in Christ, the whole building Being fitted together is growing. How many of you know we're still growing, right? We're not there. Are we there yet? We're not. Not far now. (laughs) We're not there yet, but we're growing into something as long as we keep progressing. We forget what's behind. We press on for what's in front of us, right? So we just keep moving on with it. Yeah, there's imperfections. Yeah, there's problems. Yeah, the things that the world might even accuse of hypocrisy. We're not quite there yet. But we are moving, we're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, here's an amazing thing. Just think about that phrase for a second. A holy temple in the Lord. So we're the temple that's in Christ, but we're also the temple of Christ, where he lives in. So we are in Christ. So many promises in the New Testament, right? In Christ, in Christ. But Christ is also in us, the hope of glory so we're in him and he is in us how is that possible it's almost like one of those paradoxes well which is it can't be either that 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 square peg is in the box or it's not or it's outside the box but knowing christ we got it both i think the best picture somebody ever gave was it's like oxygen it's like the air we are in the air right now in this room right is it warm enough for you in here today it sure was in that drum cage. If you ever get cold, that's where you just hang out in there. If you can sit up there for the service, if you get cold again. We're in the ox we're in the air right now, but the air is also in us, right? We're breathing it in. It's inside us and we're inside the air. That's how it is with Christ. That's how it is with this temple thing. We are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. First and foremost, most important thing we could ever be. There's a place for God to live in the earth. Now, I know you say, well, the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. He's everywhere all at once. That is true. But the earth, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Without our opening the gates, without our saying, we want you in this place, then he doesn't dwell in the earth quite like he will and wants to. There, there he has given us, literally has given us the authority to shut him out of our lives or to welcome him into our lives. He's given us that choice, and he's given us that authority to do that. Yes, he will come whenever he wants to. You know, somebody used to say the Holy Spirit's like a gentleman. He only comes when he's invited. Mostly true, but not always. I mean, you know, sometimes Jesus says, okay, I'm tired of waiting for you. I'm coming now. Nobody but a handful of people were praying, Jesus, you know, Messiah, would you come? At least not the way he came when Jesus came the first time. Nobody invited him to the temple to turn over all the tables. He just came. So right, I'm sick of waiting for you to pray. Because that's what this place is supposed to be for. He's like that. He's building us up to be a place in the earth where his presence dwells. So we looked at that last week. How when we are a dwelling place of God in the spirit, light drives back darkness. And there's something about being all together, isn't there? Uh, COVID taught us that. uh, You know, being isolated and separated. I think the whole world got a little bit of a taste of what it's actually like actually what hell I believe is like to just be completely isolated and separated from everybody and you're just all on your own. And and there was a craving. I'll never forget uh, the, the Easter service. Remember we had it out in the parking lot by the way, whenever you go by our neighbors up in the alley, every time you go by, repent and apologize and say, we're so sorry for waking up, you know, your kids and making all that ruckus at sunrise on Easter morning. Um, love on them. We, I love them. I talk to them whenever I go by. But we disturbed the peace that morning. But I remember being out in the parking lot, and, you know, we'd, we'd respectfully ask as at t- that time. They were telling us to, you know, stay in your car and, and all that. And nobody listened, right? Everybody's out there, hugging on each other because we missed each other because we just really wanted to be together. Forsake not the assembling together of yourselves, the scripture says, and I hope that's a command that's not hard to follow. I love being with you guys. I, I received, I don't know if you realize this, but I received just as much life being together in the presence of all the assembled. And I know we got a bunch that are off in the woods somewhere today, and God bless them, because hunting's allowed on Sunday now, so I see it. I see the empty seats, and I know who's supposed to be there, and I see you, and I'm loving you. Some are sick right now, now we, we pray for them too, but thank you all you hunters. I see some who are here because you got your deer during archery or, or you're just waiting because it's Sunday and we want to be together on the Sabbath. But there is something about being assembled together that makes a dwelling place of God that's just different. Each of us individually, yeah, we each carry the presence of the Lord everywhere we go. You and I, Christ in us, the hope of glory, we are individually a mobile temple of God. And everywhere we go, he goes with us, and we go with him. But there's something about all being together. You ever come into a gathering of the saints, like a Sunday morning or, or a worship night, and you're just feeling really down. You're not feeling like worshiping. You're trying to imagine in your mind a song that you could sing of praise or thanksgiving that your heart actually is down with, and you can't think of one. And so you know what you got to do. You know what we can do? We write off the praise of somebody else until our heart catches up. Do You know, somebody, when we're depressed and we're under it and somebody's singing a song of joy instead of being upset with them, we could say, you know what, that's normal. And Jesus, help me get back to that place. Because I don't want to live in this depressed place and I don't want to commiserate with anybody, which means I'm going to drag you all down and be miserable with me. We don't want to do that to each other, right? I mean, I don't think we should necessarily avoid somebody who wants to commiserate, but sometimes boundaries are necessary. And look, say, look, I'm going to go to the presence of the Lord, and uh, if you want to join me, that would be awesome. I'd like to bring you with me right now, but in the meanwhile, I mean, you could you could have a pity party, and, and I'll come back and love on you, but I need to praise right now something about gathering, where we get to do that. It's okay to feed life off of one another, just like a natural body does, so a spiritual body does. We need the strength that somebody else offers. Offers. That's why avoiding the saints is the worst thing to do. When anxiety, depression, fear, when all those things start coming after us, the worst thing to do is withdraw and separate because we're meant to receive life from one another. And that's how it works in the body of Christ. So let's read a Psalm for thanksgiving. Psalm 100, now that's the title of the psalm and I'm gonna dig in on this psalm for a little bit and we'll be all over the Bible because all of these words, I wanna share with you some of the, there are a bunch of different words depending which scholars article you read, there's either three or seven or 56 words for praise. Probably somewhere in there is about the right amount but how many of you know the entire scriptures, every motion that we do is a form of worship. Every single thing we do, more on that next week, whatever we put our hands to, whatever we put our mind to, our mouth to, it's worship. It's just a matter of whether our worship is toward the Lord or our worship is toward something else around us. We are made to worship and we will worship. We'll worship the dude who could get a pigskin over their line with our shout. And our praise and our adulation will worship, you know, the World Cup guy who can kick the ball in that net thing. I'm not a soccer guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what's happening. I know World Cup's going on, but I don't know what's happening. Um, and, and I saw a fan, what was it, Ronaldo? Is he the guy who plays for Portugal? Thank you, Damien. I knew I could count on you, Ronaldo. And there was this kid in the hallway when they were lined up to come in, and he was standing next to him. I thought the kid was going to pass out. He, he was... I'm standing next to him. Oh my God, oh, I can reach, I could touch him if I wanted to. And he was just freaking out. He's worshiping Ronaldo. There's a lot of things. We are made for that. There's something in us that desires to put our heart, put our soul into something greater than ourselves. And we'll find a way, we'll find a place. So why not put it on the only one who's actually worthy of it? The only one who actually fulfills all of what our soul is desiring to glorify and magnify and that being the Lord. So this is a psalm for thanksgiving as if they knew that that we had it in mind. Now we don't know if the, the dude who wrote the psalm, which was probably David, he didn't sign it so we don't know for sure or if some... Somebody who uh, put the manuscript together and put the the Hebrews have five books in the Psalms that they assembled together and joined songs over spanning over a thousand years, by the way. The Psalms span a thousand years worth of songs given over to the Lord. And somebody put them all together. Maybe they gave it that title. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It is a Psalm for Thanksgiving. So now you know what to read next Thanksgiving when you're around the table together. I'm going to just read the whole thing. There are seven words for praise seven commandments if you want to use that term i hesitate to use that term because it sounds so authoritarian god commands you to shout and so you will shout you know there's nothing that god ever says hey you should do this i want you to do this that doesn't come with 10 times the blessing as whatever the so-called sacrifice of obeying that command was right You well know that, right? There's never a time that God says, hey, I want you to do this where he gets anything from it except connection with us. He has nothing missing. There's nothing we could ever offer him that he doesn't have already. There's nothing we could ever give as a gift that he didn't give us. How many of you are going to take your kids Christmas shopping for each other? You guys do that? We started a family tradition when our like we had two or three, and we, uh, my mother actually did it for most of the years. We'd take them out shopping for each other because we wanted them to get in the mindset of giving, not, not like, you know, I grew up, and it was all about Santa Claus and the pile of gifts and 4 a.m., you know, it was boom, out there and everything, and, you know, wrappers all over the place. We wanted Christmas to be about Christ and about giving, so I don't know why I was saying that. Help me get back, Holy Spirit. What was I saying that for? Jesus loves our, there's nothing we could give to him. So if you take your kids out Christmas shopping, thank you. That was perfect. We take our kids out Christmas shopping when they're five, six years old, where do they get the money from to buy the gifts. Right, you're, you're taking them up to the counter. They're buying a gift for their brother or sister. You're buying it for them, but they get the joy of giving. So it is with all of our giving when it comes to God. Anything we give over to him, it's only out of the abundance of what he's given to us. So there's no such thing as actual sacrifice. Sometimes they even hate using the word sacrifice. We are going to talk about it today. But it just means to give up something. That's what sacrifice means. I'm giving up something, but I'm not giving up something that I got to bring to the Lord. And, and yet he enjoys it. I mean, if your kids give you gifts at Christmas, where did they get the money from to buy the gift? Right, they, they got it from you or from the grandparents if, if they're active like that. They didn't originate with it, but you love it because it was thoughtful and because they did it because they thought it would please you. So it is with all of what we give to the Lord, most especially our praise. So seven words in this, all to do with worship and thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, that's first, shout to the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness, that's number two, come before him with joyful singing, so there is something of a coming before him, not like laying there saying, okay, whenever you're ready, Jesus, I'll have fellowship with you, there's time for that, and we're alone like that, but then there is a a motion involved, there's a, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to come to that place, I'm going to actually move myself to a place to meet together with the Lord because he's worthy at least when he summons me to actually go someplace to connect with him. Although he is always in him, we live and move and have our being. He's always with me, but there's something about coming before him. It reflects a posture of the heart, an attitude and a disposition that says, I'm leaving whatever comfortable place I was and I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm not just waiting for you to come to me. I'm coming to you. You know, we always get excited about how God meets us halfway, right? From the parable of the prodigal son. The father saw him from afar off and he ran down the road to meet him. And we're all excited about that, and that's true. That's what our father's like. But you do realize that the prodigal son came first. He left the pigsty and he began to move toward the father. The father, that's what it means to meet halfway. He bridged the entire gap before we were saved because we were helpless, we were dead in our sins. After that, he's saying, I want to meet up with you, but you're going to have to come before me. Know that the Lord himself is God. That's the fourth one. No, there's something about knowing. We'll talk about that. There is a an understanding know in the hebrew language always means an interactive understanding even sexual relations is used with that word that's how intimate that expression is know that the lord himself is god it's he who made us not we ourselves we are the the people and sheep of his pasture we're his people that's why we worship because we belong to him we always say yeah he's our god really the the right expression would be i'm his son i'm his daughter i'm his we are his people Yeah, he's our God. He's everybody's God, but we're his people. So here it is. Four words for praise in one verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to every generation, to all generations. So let's let's bring this down. I I encourage you to just marinate in this. If we want to become a people, we're excellent at hosting the presence of the Lord. It's, it works better if we individually are hosting him 24-7. We are made to be a temple of God that's always active. Whether we're singing songs with our mouth or not. You know, the songs that we sing when we gather are an overflow of the rest of our life. We, are, we live to worship. That doesn't mean to sing songs all the time. Although, singing songs is a reflection of a happy heart. You remember when you were kids? Or you ever, you ever listen to your kids sing? Like preschool age, I'm sure, is what Jesus was talking about when He said you have to be converted and become like little children. So you go in the room and there's your little two-year-old and they're you know building with blocks or whatever. And they're <laughs> there's a song going on constantly in there. What's that song from? There's something going on in the heart. And if we've lost our song, it's because something happened and we grew up the wrong way. The, the song is the natural byproduct. You can't turn, but a, a chapter in the Bible without finding something where there's singing going on. Singing is a reflection of something that's alive in the heart. And when Christ is alive in our heart, the song comes more naturally, even the new song, which we will talk about and we are going to master as a congregation. I believe God wants to take us up higher. He wants to take us into a place where worship the singing of songs together, worship, the dancing before him, the lifting of the hands, the shout, the laying flat on our face before his glory and his presence. All of those things are all over the Psalms. And yet, nobody can force us to do anything, but they're all in there. The fullest expression of a heart that's been made alive is that we're expressive, that all the expression can come out in its time and in its proper place. And so when a commandment, instead of becoming a, a have to, and it becomes a I get to, now we're in the place of worship. Now we're in a place where our heart's leading the way, where we're not saying, all right, got to go worship the Lord. You know, like, man, i got to eat my spinach, and i got to worship the Lord. Good, man. Can you imagine? I mean, worship... What we're looking at in worship becoming. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. When we worship, it's not for us. I mean, my heart's moved. I can't worship without being moved. Especially when, don't you love it when, I love it when the worship leaders, I mean, I love their singing, I love their instruments, I love everything that happens on this platform. But the moments that we're just singing, And it's just the voices. And then you start hearing some people sing a new song, Tehillah, that's the word uh, for a new song to the Lord. You start singing the new song, and there's just this movement And I've never once not cried when that goes on. It's so moving. I don't know, sometimes I know that I have heard it, and I'm sure to hear the angels singing with us. Like actually with the natural ear joining in together. It's just a glorious adventure in that. So, Let's dig in and master the art of hosting his presence and considering it as, I wonder what Jesus would like right now. We're putting together a Thanksgiving meal and as my wife always does, she'll ask all the kids, which side dish do you wanna make sure that we have? Why? Because we wanna make sure that everybody enjoys being at that table. There's something for everyone at that table. Our first question of worship should not be, how many are we gonna sing hymns or contemporary? Contemporary. I'm going to step on every toe in the room just so I don't offend anybody or offend everybody, which is equal opportunity. It doesn't matter if we sing hymns or contemporary. It doesn't matter if we sing choruses from the 80s or the new Bethel song that came out last week. It doesn't. You're arguing with me. Some of you are arguing with me. Somebody at home's arguing, with me. I can feel it. In my spirit right now, it really doesn't matter what song we sing. What matters is the because que- because when we say that, We want the songs that move us. Right? Don't look at me like that. You know I'm right. We want the songs that move our soul. The songs that make me excited to sing it. The songs that move me so I can sing full-throated on that. But man, and that new stuff or that rock and roll beat or, you know, I, I don't know, I might struggle a little bit of bluegrass, but I think I could enter in. That, you know, but some kind of, you know, the style of, sorry, the style of music makes no difference. The words make some difference because we want them to express our heart to the Lord. But if we're in worship because it moves us, we got it all backwards. Let's reverse that. I want to ask the Lord at the end of every worship set, as I ask the Lord when I'm finished praying or when I, I've spent some time with him, hey, did you enjoy that? I want to know, did that move your heart? Did that please you? Was that something where you say, man, I'm so glad we were together today. I I know he says that just because we came, but Lord, did you enjoy worship today? That's That's the question. Psalm for Thanksgiving word thanksgiving is, um, well, I'll break it down in a minute. Giving thanks, did I put it up there yet? No. The, The giving thanks is the most basic form of worship, okay? If we don't, you don't feel like singing, you can't see the sun because it's so cloudy in your life right now. No matter what it is, determining to give thanks in all things. Not for all things. Give thanks in everything. First Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in everything. That's the beginning of worship. If you feel ever feel like, you know, I just don't feel like worshiping right now, the very first step is to give thanks. It's the most basic form of worship. It's the foundation for hosting his presence. As we'll see in this song, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. There's something about giving thanks. There's an attitude of gratitude, like we say to our kids growing up. The first stage of connecting our heart back with the Lord is to be able to give thanks. Why is that? Because sometimes, you know, when life comes at you fast and when circumstances just have us weighed down, it bottles up that song, whatever the cares of this world are, whatever the anxieties, the fears, the things that make us angry, whatever those things are, it, it really is like clouds that try to block our view. Giving thanks taps our heart Back into the reality of how God always has been good, that there have been times—it's an absolute lie. How many of you are Christians here today? I'm watching. I I know all of you, so I know you are. You're all saved. Even if you can't think of anything else, the very first things we could give—the very first thing we could give thanks for—is that Jesus came. He died on a cross. He gave us new life, and that more abundantly. And it goes on forever. Even if everything else, even if you literally had a Job day, just happened. You lost all your kids, you lost all your business, and now you're sick with this painful disease. All of those things go on. We could still say... He still died for me. He still carried all of what I'm carrying right now. He chose to carry that all on himself and he did it for me. And he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've called you by name and you are mine. If everything else falls apart, we can begin in that place. That's laying the first foundation stone in a temple that's gonna host the presence of the Lord. And it's all the more pleasurable, all the more pleasing to the Lord. You know, Job on that day, even when everything fell apart, and even his wife said, I want you to just curse God and die. And he said, I will not. I will not. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. You know what I'm going to say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to bless him anyway. I don't get it. I don't know what I did to deserve this. We're going to debate that for the next 35 chapters of the book. But I don't know what happened, but I am not going to forget. As David said later on, surely his goodness and his loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. So having a part-time worshiping, having a hard time entering in, turn around and look back. And remember all the times that he's been good. And use your mouth. This is, this is a thing that uh, I think we get in the Western world. It's a new thing in the last thousand years. Western culture. It's like we think, as long as I have the thought in my mind, it's the same as saying it with my mouth. No, it's not. It's not. Jesus said, when you pray, say our Father who art in heaven. Not when you pray, Think. There's something about using our mouth, and I've shared about this, you know, about the power of the tongue. God didn't think the universe into existence. He spoke it into existence. We're made in his image. There's a power in our mouth. Sometimes we need to just say it out loud. God, I know that you're good. Everything's falling apart. But God, I remember when you did this for me. And I thank you for this. And I thank you for the, the sun came up today. I thank you that I got Jesus. I thank you that I have a hope and a future. I thank you I have heaven inside of me. I thank you that you've never left me. You've never forsaken me. And you just get on this roll of thanks. And that's the beginning of, that's the beginning of worship. That's the beginning of making a place now for his presence to come. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's the song that the singers sang when they went out. The singers went out ahead of Jehoshaphat's army and the army got put to flight. That was their song, give thanks, give thanks. When gratitude is gone, we go into this downward spiral of the heart. In fact, we know that we're in a bad spot when we struggle even to thank God for anything. Maybe it's because some offense has taken hold in our heart because God didn't come through in some way we expected him to. Something just happened that really brought pain to our lives. Things are taking too long to happen. Maybe whatever the case may be, if our heart can't find anything to say thank you, Lord, for, we're in this downhill spiral. He's never left us. He's still with us. This temple he doesn't abandon This temple, meaning us, the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, the Spirit, he never says, okay, I'm out of here. He's always there. It's just a matter of whether we're going to connect with the joy that comes in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy, right? We don't connect with the joy of his presence because all these other things have occupied our mind's eye. And it's all we can see. And we forget sometimes that he's always been good, that even this thing that's before us, this thing we're facing that pressed us down, he's able to make even that work together for the good. How he's going to do it? No idea. But I know that he makes all things work together for the good. Why? Because I love him and I know I'm called according to his purpose. Amen. So we miss out on that. So here's, here's the downward spiral. This is what Romans describe. It's an amazing passage. Romans chapter one describes the world's condition, having rejected God as God and created other gods for themselves, for ourselves. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Isn't that amazing? all the things that were going on in the pagan world that Paul described, and the thing that he could bring it back to that didn't honor God, and you know what happened then? They didn't give thanks. They ceased to say, God, thank you for the air I breathe. God, thank you for the life that you've given me. Thank you for the world that you've created for me. Thank you for the joy, the family, the fellowship, the community I have. Thank you for all these things that you've given me as gifts. Once those things are gone, it says they became futile, and their speculations, meaning their thinking, got all off. There's speculation about what God might be like. There's speculation about how God's relationship is with us. All of those things began to take on a negative turn. Why? Because they stopped giving thanks. This is the thing we we desperately try to impart to our kids. You know how to raise kids that are not spoiled but can have everything? Is that they're thankful for everything they have. You could be raised in a millionaire's house and never want for anything. So long as you're grateful, you're not going to become spoiled rotten. And so it is with us in Christ. We could become spoiled. I mean, I think Israel fell into this place. They they cried out for meat because they said, we loathe this manna. We loathe this manna. This is Numbers 11. Sylvia Evans will share some of that at our retreat with us. We loathe it because it's the same old thing every day. They stopped giving thanks for daily bread. They stopped giving thanks for the simple thing, that God's with us. Look at this, every morning, we don't have to go hunt for food, we don't have to, it's right there outside of our door, tastes like honey wafers, and it's just, you know, melt in your mouth, and they got so tired of it, because it was the same thing. They stopped giving thanks, and 40 years later, they all died in the wilderness so giving thanks it's the key to holding on professing to be wise they became fools and they exchanged the glory of God for the image in the form of corruptible man and so forth and therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so God gave them over means God said okay my presence is not being honored in your midst I'm going to allow you to experience life what it would be like as if I wasn't with you did he ever leave them? God has never left the earth. God has never abandoned his people, not even those who are not believers. He has never left. He's there. It's just that it requires a, a connection, a reconnection, reconciliation, the scriptural word is, to connect, to experience all of what's in his presence, which is fullness of joy. At my right hand, pleasures forevermore. There's got to be a two way connection in that. He's never left, but he gave them over. He said, Okay, if you want to worship things that I created instead of worship me, in other words, you don't want to host me in the earth, you don't want my presence to be with you, then I'm going to let you experience the fruits of that God. I'll let you experience what life is like without me as if I left you, even though I never have. I'll let you experience it. Why? What's always God's aim in anything that he does? What's his goal with every covenant, everything he's ever done? What's his goal? To reconcile us back to himself, to be together with us. His goal is love. His goal that all things will be gathered together in Christ. And so God gave them over. Why? Let me see what it, when you're feeding pigs, and you get tired of the smell, maybe you'll remember that the bread in my house was much better and that even the servants in my house are better off than you are living this life outside. We're, we're all so prone to idolatry. As I said earlier, we're so prone to worship other things. Now we don't, in you know, modern Western culture, carve statues and things like that. They still do it in many parts of the world. I've been in India. There's a, an idol statue on every corner in Hyderabad, the city where I was, they, they have a thousand gods and they have statues for every one of them. There is still idolatry like that in the world, but in the Western world, we just don't make the statue, but we still worship something else. How do you know you're worshiping something? You're shouting with excitement for it in a way that puts it before God. God. You get Our hearts getting more excited about that than the thought of connecting with the Creator. Our heart, our, our wealth goes for things. I mean, look, one way of knowing what priorities are in life is, where does your money go? That's a really good no, this isn't a, a little offering thing right now, but Jesus said, "Where your treasure is, there will be your Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, all things happen. It's like all the river of life comes out of the heart. And so what we spend our money on is a reflection of what's important to us, right? So he gave them over. So let's not be given over. Let's start back in the place of giving thanks. And this is for, for all of us. When we get to a place where we feel distant from the Lord, thanks is the first step back to hosting his presence, the first step back to reconnecting with the God, of, the God our creator. A psalm of thanksgiving. This is one of the words for worship. Right in the title, it shows up again, enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's the same word, todah. Todah. We're going to learn a little Hebrew. Is that Okay. It's a good language, man. The entire Genesis to Malachi is in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic for all you Bible geeks out there, but it's Hebrew. And um, there, there's some, it, it's a language that is, well, it's a hieroglyphic language, and it's a language that one word in English almost never describes the fullness of the word that you're reading. I mean, uh, Hebrew, it's a complicated language. Ancient Hebrew is a little, it's, imagine, it's like reading Shakespeare. And that's our native language is English, right? But now you're going to try to read 3,000-year-old Hebrew. It's a little tricky. But the words are so packed with life and color and joy. This was the only psalm I could ever translate out of the Hebrew. And And that's as far as I got. And then it got too complicated for me. And I was too busy loving people to learn more Hebrew. So I gave up on it. But they have dictionaries and tools now. And you can ask a rabbi. Any question you want online, it's phenomenal, the resource we have today. You can Google this word and it'll show you where to go. Google, thank you, Google. (laughs) Do you know you could Google if you forget a Bible verse? How many of you have translation dysphoria? Meaning like you've used different translations during your life so you can't quite quote out of any of the translations, of the scripture you're trying to quote. Like I started King James and I memorized a bunch of scripture in the King James and then I switched to NIV and I memorized a bunch in that and then I, and then I moved to like New King James because I was a children's pastor and then the NASB. And now I don't even know what, what the scripture says in any translation because they're all jumbled together. Right? And then I got a little bit of Greek and just enough Hebrew to be dangerous so I got the word and I'm in my mind trying to decide what would be the right word for that word. So anyway, Todah. You wanna say that? Let's say toda. Not tada, but toda. Toda. And it literally means it's a picture, like I said, it's a hieroglyphic language. Toda, literally, the picture of the word is to extend the hands upward. There are three words in this psalm that involve lifting hands, by the way. How many of you, just out of curiosity, when you came to Hillside, it was the first experience you had worshiping where people lifted their hands <laughs> during worship? That's it. All right, so some of you got, like, you know, because there, there have been people who have come and literally have gone. I've talked to them because, they're like, oh, man, you're one of them lifting the hands kind of churches. I was like, huh? Have you read the Psalms at all? I mean, we, we didn't make It's not like a hillside thing. It's, it's a Bible. We want to do the Bible, not just read it. You know, it's like, but well, this word literally means to extend the hands upward as an offering of thanks or a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So just imagine yourself going, thank you. Thank you. That, that's the picture of Todah. And it involves sacrifice. Thanksgiving and the offering of worship involves sacrifice, meaning I'm going to give up something important to me. Aren't you glad that we're in the new covenant and you don't have to bring a little lamb to church or a turtle dove or something like that. And we got this bloody mess literally up in the front because we're coming with a sacrifice to bridge the gap. There, there's literally a sacrifice in the law of Moses, which is it's called a peace offering, and there's a variety of different ways you could do it. And one subcategory of the peace offering, which was just an offering to say, you know what, I'm just so grateful to have fellowship with you. I just feel like I want to give something up for you. How many of you, when you got saved, the first thing you said was, "God, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything," out of just out of a response of the heart. How many of you did that? Show of hands. That's what most people do, right? We're so grateful. It's just a, a natural response. Like, I, I got to give you something. We are we, naturally like that, right? When you go over to somebody's house or somebody gives you this great gift or they do a service for you, don't you want to give them something in return? Like, let me make you a pie or that's my love language, just in case you want to know. But after we're done with the biggest loser, not now. <laughs> after, after the end of January, right? And just, there's this natural, because we're made in the image of God, we want to give in response to having received something. That's toda. That's the, uh, of, I've come to recognize how good you've been to me. I just had a revelation, whether you did And sometimes it's in response to something we just saw. Sometimes it's just a memory of how good God's been. And there's something in us that says, I just want to give you something. That's the peace offering. And, and it's just a fellowship thing. It's just, I want to come, God. I, I just feel the need to give you something. You're not requiring it. Do you know those are the best gifts? You know, when, when the gifts on the high holy days of obligation, you know, Valentine's Day, anniversary, Christmas, whatever, those gifts are meaningful, but it's the gift that comes out of nowhere. The, that, those are the meaningful ones. That's the peace offering. I'm just coming to offer you something. And the thank offering is part of the, is one of the kinds of peace offerings. It's just saying, you know, something welled up in me, oh God. I remembered you. I remember how good you've been. I just feel like I've got to give you something. That's todah. It means to extend the hands up, or can you do that with me? This is Toda. Show me Toda. all of you i 'm going to wait. I can see you. I can see everybody from up here. Why do you think I stand on the platform? because i 'm above anybody. I want to see your eyes i don 't see hands yet up here i 'm looking right at you, dude i 'm going to come over there and i 'll have the camera move right up here. Nope, this is not Toda. This is Toda. everybody 's getting tired a little higher, a little higher. Oh, just another few inches. There it is. All right, that's todah. Okay, you put your hands down. Now, just so you know, because another one is more like this. This is not todah. Todah is this. Because I'm giving up something right now. I'm offering you my thanks. And it comes with something physical in the old covenant. and the new covenant, it's just, aren't you good? We just come with our sacrifice of thanksgiving. We offer up praise to him and we just say it. And then we give our lives over as, an o- as a thank offering. Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, um, 107, right? So 107? Psalm 107. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. That's another word for praise, which we'll cover later on in this series. Joyful singing. A lifestyle of worship always begins with an attitude of sacrifice. So, The excuse as I once offered the Lord and which I believe many of us have offered to the Lord of why I'm not singing right now, why I'm not giving thanks right now is because I just don't feel like it. And I don't want to force myself because I don't want it to be fake. I don't want to push myself to do something. I don't want to, you know, feel like I have to do something. So I'm going to wait until my heart feels it. How many of you have said that and then you realize that it's been like 10 years since you felt it? Mm -hmm. And that happens. If we wait until our heart leads the way, what if our heart is under it and we need to connect with the creator for our heart to be restored? We're gonna stay under it a long time. But instead, the sacrifice, an attitude of sacrifice says, this is about you, it's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. I just forgot the song. I thought it would come if I started singing it. It's not about me. As if you should do things my way, you alone are God and I will worship you. It's not about me. So you can say that to your soul. There's a lot of, there's some Psalms where you talk to your soul, you know, bless the Lord on my soul. You can say, hey soul, what's she doing? Why are you so quiet right now? Why are you downcast? What's wrong with you? That's how you have to say it. What's wrong with you? Put your hope in God. Did you forget? I know you don't have a brain, soul, but let me remind you of something. God's good. He's still good. Yeah, it's cloudy out today and it's raining, but God's still good. So it begins with this attitude of sacrifice. Do you know the first time the word, do you know when the instance is of the first time the word worship is used in the Bible? This is a Bible study technique called the law of first mention. If you want to understand what the scriptures mean by a word, you look for the first time it shows up and then trace it all the way out through the word of God. It's called streams of truth. It's a great way to study the Scriptures. The first time that the word worship was used. I'm just checking to see any Bible geeks out there. If you remember, because I shared this like 10 years ago. You forgot? <laughs> I think it was like that. I know you know, Liz, where, you know, it was on Mount Moriah. When Abraham was about to climb the mountain, ready to sacrifice his son, he told the servant who was staying with his donkey, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. What was going to be his worship? He was going to offer his, his son, the child of promise, on an altar. Now, don't worry if you, you, know, if you haven't thought it through. He, uh, Hebrews says that he reasoned that, or uh, Romans rather he reasoned that God could raise him from the dead he wasn't actually going to kill his son there's all kinds of psychiatrists have gotten a hold of that and said, no wonder the Jewish people are so messed up <laughs> <laughs> that's their patriarch yeah I'm going to kill you to honor God he never thought that because he said right here we will worship and return to you But what was he doing in his worship? He was ready to sacrifice the most important thing in his life. He had waited 25 years since God first called him for the fulfillment of this promise. And now 15 years later, which most scholars believe Isaac was about 15 when this happened, which makes it all the more impressive for Isaac. Because if Isaac was about that age by now, Abram was like 115, he could have outrun the old man when he figured out what was happening. When he he's like, hey, so uh, where's the sacrifice? <laughs> you know, in that moment, he goes, oh, yeah, I don't think so. But he stayed on the altar, Isaac becoming a, cri- a type of Christ. On the same mountain, Jesus was crucified, but that's another message for another day. First time worship shows up in the scriptures is to make a supreme sacrifice. That's our introduction. What's worship going to involve in our lives? Man, <laughs> what well, we Westerners sacrifice to go and worship Jesus. We might have to leave and it's cold outside. I might have to go out and it's raining. You know, I'm you gonna know, get my feet wet in the parking lot. And I don't know if the temperature is gonna be right. You know, Craig, you know, I don't know, he keeps it too cold in there, or, or you know, or maybe someone else got a hold of it and now. It's too hot in there. I don't know if that sanctuary is right. now I mean, I, I, wonder, I wish I could know what songs they were gonna sing. Then I could go and and worship the Lord, or you know, all these things that we we that keep us from. And name your own. Fill in your own blank. Sorry if I offended you, but I didn't do it on purpose. It's just that these things that get in the way of us actually giving ourselves over to God in contrast to the majesty of the Lord, in contrast to who he is and what he has done, I, I feel guilty sometimes at the things that have prevented me from joining together and building a temple for God to live in. Afterward, I go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I let that take priority over coming into the presence of the creator of heaven and earth, of the Jesus who loved me, and the one who's got such great things in store, I couldn't even conceive of it in my overactive imagination. And that's what it's like. So the psalm goes on, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Yeah, we're going to start out with shouting. <laughs> I just, sometimes I wish I could just take a snapshot, like if I had Google glasses or something, to go... <laughs> Because I know some of you are like, oh, man, please don't don't make me shout right now. don't even do one of those corny, you know, shouts. And I'll shout for you in the meanwhile. But it's the Hebrew word ruah, which sound, I wonder if that's where our army got her it from. It's ruah right? Hurrah. Hurrah. You know, it's like, and when you have a thousand men say that at the same time, you're, I'm glad you're on our side. But that's what it sounds like. Ruah. To raise a shout, to give a blast, the word literally means to split the ear. <laughs> it's too loud. The music's too loud. I'm sorry. I know that we, we do volume control here. We don't want to bust anybody's eardrums. Mine are long since shot from going to too many rock concerts when I was in high school. And I can't, I can't hear a blasted thing. Like I'd fail one of those hearing tests at the high range. Forget it. But that's what the word means, to split the ear. That's So shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. How will we know that the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord has covered the earth like the waters cover the seas? Because there's a universal shout all around the world. A shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You guys are getting really, you know, like move around or something at least. There's a shout. There's something I prayed this morning on pre-service prayer, and I, I just had this picture of the whole earth. Another thing about the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. You know Sunday is not the Sabbath, right? It's the Lord's Day. Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's Day, first day of the week. And there's something about the Lord's Day that there is nonstop praise now in every time zone all around the world. There is somebody singing at least one day a week to the Lord congregations of people gathered, some in secret, some out in the open, some in in Coliseum's, I almost said, some in stadiums, some, you know, but there is a song for 24 hours all around the world of praise. Now we got at least one day, one day the whole earth will shout joyfully to the Lord. One day. We're getting closer and closer to that one day, but one day. Now here's the thing about us. Anybody can shout after they see a victory. In a football stadium, you know, when when your team scores, the home team scores, it is deafening in that place. You you just feel it. It's like your body shakes. Your eardrums vibrate because it's so loud. And anybody could do that. But people of faith shout before the victory actually happens and cause the victory to happen with that shout. As in walking around the walls of Jericho. I think I shared this. It feels familiar, like I said it last week or something or two. I don't know when. But they could have stood there at the end of the seven times around and say, okay, God, we marched. Now what? But God said, I want you to shout. Same word, ruah. When you get around the seventh time, blow the trumpets and shout. Ruah. I don't know if that's what they shouted, but it just Shout. Shout to God. And that's when things began to happen. So people of faith shout first. Why? Because we have heavenly vision. We don't need to wait to see things happen in the earth. We have access to the eternal one. We sit in heavenly places with the eternal one. The one who's already seen the end before he said, let there be light. He already saw the outcome. And now we get to partner with him. This is why it's the the first word for praise in this psalm. Shout. Not just as a result. Yes, sometimes it is. Like... This word was used after David plunked Goliath in the forehead and he fell on his face and David cut his head off. It says that all of the men ruad and then chased after the Philistines. Now, if only there were a ruad while Goliath was braying at them, they all could have been the hero of the day instead of just David. But God had something in mind for that. But we do it before. Shouting as a form of worship, though, is a byproduct of joy. Shout with joy. Let me just give you a few. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. You know, when we rejoice, like I'll use the same sports analogy. Your team just scored a touchdown. The Eagles fans last week at, what was it, 134? I could hear all of you in Millersburg from Halifax. Ah! That's a shout to God. Well, maybe not a shout to God. A shout to the eagles with a voice of joy in response to something that our heart experienced. Yeah! Aaron Judge hits a second home run. I was at home, and I saw it. Yeah! I was so happy for him, and I shouted with joy. It was a spontaneous result. So shouting biblically as a result of an overflow of joy. Something bubbles up, and it's got to find a way out out of the abundance of the heart the Mount speaks. Now, the abundance of a heart that's abundant, that's full, overflowing, comes a shout. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Psalm uh, 98. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Psalm 81. Shout, sing for joy to the God of our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of a- uh, Jacob. Shout joyfully. Psalm 66. Shout joyfully to God all the earth. You catching a theme here? So what we're in need of if we've lost our shout is a fresh revelation of Jesus. Because to see him... There there are moments I experience it every time we're in resurrection day season and I start experiencing and remembering not just the cross, but remembering the empty tomb. And there's something, you know, because of course that's real. That's gripped our hearts. It's how we got born again. We recognize he rose from the dead. He conquered death while he was dead. And now what can stop him? And, And there's something that just a shout of joy that comes because of revelation. That's, that's what, you know, people of faith, you know, they didn't just shout because God said to. They had a revelation. Something rose up. They heard the stories outside the walls of Jericho. They heard the stories, and they knew that, man, Moses put his rod out and they, our fathers walked through the sea on dry land. God, you know, did 10 plagues and judged Egypt and set us free from slavery. And he did all of those things. And there was something in them. They remembered those stories. Moses had rehearsed them in their ears when they were children. Deuteronomy was written so that the children of the wilderness would have the law rewritten for them. But he told them all the stories. They knew it. And now they recognize here's our chance to see this miracle We just walked through the Jordan and God held back the water so we could come across. Now we're about to see a city collapse right before our eyes. So they had this revelation. They could see it before it happened. How many of you have done sports where your coach had you imagine what it was that you were about to do? I took a diving class in college and, you know, before you can even try on that three meter board, especially to do a couple of flips in the air, you have to be able to see yourself doing it. Now, that's the power of the natural mind doing it. How much more? What if God has said? What if God said, if you do this, then this is going to happen, and it's life-changing or even world-changing? Well, that produces a shout, and that's where revelation is necessary. That's where getting back in touch with God. and, And again, we could back up one step. I'm going to come in with thanks. I might not feel ready to shout yet, but I can at least come in with thanksgiving. I could think of 20 things to thank God for right now. And if I can only start with three, I'll get the ball rolling. That, by the way, works. Do you know it triggers your mind to do that? You just start with memories and then and remembering one thing, it's like it unlocks the door for another memory. And that's how it works with testimony. I do encourage you to write them down. But remembering one and giving voice to it triggers another memory and triggers another memory. And I encourage you to try it someday. Just go on this non-stop giving thanks thing. And if by the end of it, you're not ready to shout for joy, then uh, then go back and do it again. Or keep doing it until your heart catches back up with the reality and the revelation of Jesus. You know, this, nobody likes faking anything, Right? Uh, There was a thing. I still, I got to ask you sometime what fake it till you make it means, like what they meant by that and why, why they use that in recovery circles. But there's no faking it ever. Jesus never once, God never once said, I want you to pretend something. That is hypocrisy. But he did say, I want you to do something even if you're not feeling it. That's an act of obedience. That's, that's the to obey is better than sacrifice thing. That's the, if God said it, then I'm gonna just do it. Even if I don't understand, even if I'm not feeling it, I'm gonna do it anyway. Why? Because the Lord said to, and he's always right. Everything he ever said to do results in something amazing on the other side of it. So if we've lost our shout, we probably also lost or have already lost our joy. Joy bubbling up. Produces a shout. So if we want to feel it with that shout, we get joyful when we observe our team winning. We get joyful when we see whatever makes you go, yeah, just just think of it for a minute. What makes you go, yeah? And if nothing makes you go like that, then I pray and I'm going to bless you in a minute that, that you find that part of your heart because it's a natural part of the human heart. We are made to live in a, a really broad emotional range. I remember when I came to Christ, my emotional range was about that big. And it was deadpan. I was numb. I I chose to feel nothing. I'd so many times either been hurt, I'd been mugged, I'd been, you know, defensive, fearful, grown up in the streets of New York, and I I just learned how to shut my heart down, not feel anything at an emotional range about that big. And little by little over the years, encounters with Jesus, time spent with him, the God who created all emotions, the God who made every emotion just began to open the door to more and more chambers of my heart that hadn't been tapped into since I closed the door and shut it down. And if we have nothing to shout about, what I'm gonna propose to you as gently as I possibly can, even though I'm talking loud right now, is that the Lord wants to unlock that part of your heart, that it's natural, it's good, it's right. No, it can't be forced, but it also shouldn't be ignored. Any emotion, this is a good, this would be a quotable quote when I get through it. Any emotion that we're not experiencing that you can find within the scriptures, any emotion that we don't experience is a reflection of a part of our heart that for whatever reason got shut down. We were made to feel, we're made in the image of God. If God feels it, we ought to feel it. And if we don't ever feel it, then it might be that we need some healing. It might mean, mean that we need God to come in and soften that part of our heart that we learned how to harden, to keep from feeling pain again. And that's, that's how our heart works. So uh, let's stand to our feet. If there's, a, I want to ask for a show of hands, and I, I'm not. I was going to, but I'm just not feeling like it's the Lord right now to have us all shout. I feel like God wants to restore the the heart behind the shout, and reconnect us with the reason for shouting, the reason for living in such a way that that there are moments in life, and there are things that make us go, yeah and, and to shout to God with a voice of triumph even before the events happen. How, how do we get it back? We just need his presence. We just need his presence. There is something, you know, it's like, man, that's too simplistic an answer. Well, it might be, but it's true. In his presence... Is fullness of joy. Think of the time that you laughed out loud so hard and so loud that that like people had to leave the room because they're like, You're laughing too loud. I can't even hear myself talk right now. That's what heaven feels like. That's normal. We've recre- we've reimagined normal to dumb it down to how we live our lives. And instead we ought to just say, Okay, what's heaven like? Because we're praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's heaven like concerning issues of thanks? What's heaven like concerning the issue of shouting for joy? Because I could tell you that the people who've been there and wrote it down in the scriptures, they said it was like the sound of many waters. It was like Niagara Falls. You ever ever been there? Try to have a conversation, you go on that made of the mist or whatever that mist, not midst, made of the mist. In the midst of the rapids, the mist Anyway, you get close to that and you could barely hear a conversation. It's so loud. That's heaven's atmosphere. So rather than saying, okay, well, my culture says, can I step on more I come from a, a quiet culture. My house was not a shouting kind of place, but the culturally I grew up, the church I grew up in, man, it, I don't think I think you were supposed to keep your hands in pot. Nobody ever hands up. Nuh-uh. Not in that church. And it was hymns. And it was don't make a sound. And it was a creaky old wooden floor too. You know how hard it is when you're eight years old not to go rawr, rawr, rawr. When You know, it's just, it was like that. And so you learn how to keep it quiet, tone it down. And, and I became enculturated in that. I'm going to tell you there's a superior culture to any culture, no matter what we grew in. So, so don't tell the Lord, well, you know, I grew up in this culture and, and we don't, we're not really giving much to that. -uh. Nuh-uh, nuh-uh. Every culture has some of heaven in it and every culture has some of not heaven in it. And if we read something in the scriptures and our heart says, well, my culture doesn't really do that, where's the adjustment need to happen? (laughs) they tentatively said, well, I guess me. (laughs) Yes, we're the ones who adjust. We come up higher. We say, okay, something is wrong with what I grew up with. Something is wrong with what I was enculturated to. Lord, bring me up to heaven's culture. We need his presence all the more. So let's just do something while we're together. And we're gonna do do this around tables, actually, in a couple of weeks when we have our our, uh, Christmas breakfast Together, but we're gonna we're gonna enter his gates with Thanksgiving. So if we're feeling like any part of our praise, and there are like I said, fifty-six words really that could be translated worship or praise or something that is worshipful in the Hebrew language. If we've lost any of those, how do we get it back? Come back into his presence. We re enter his gates. Step one, thanksgiving. So just take a moment before the Lord right now. I'm sorry, Stephanie, could you just play are you cold? All right. Well you could can you wear that and play? No, all right, sorry. It's warmer up there. Could just minister over us just with the, just with the guitar. You don't have to sing, but just minister over, over us for a minute. I wanna, if you've lost your shout, meaning there's nothing in life they ever get excited about, not even the Lord rising from the dead, um, then let's just take a moment, just ask the Lord to tap you back into the realm of thanksgiving. You know, this is part of what it means to have our minds renewed. Because we look back and we remember things, and depending on how much pain has been involved in our journey, how, much, how many things have gone wrong in our lives, looking back, when we think of, you know, memories, if they're overwhelmingly full of sorrow and negative things, that may be a reality in one sense. But I I believe God wants to rewrite our memory banks and even see his presence in the midst of our pain so that we overall will look back and say, his goodness and his loving kindness has been following me. So just take a moment and with your mouth, just thank the Lord. You can do it quietly if you want. Some people can't hear you or you could just testify and let people hear it. But just thank the Lord for 10 things, 10 things. That's a challenge to thank the Lord for 10 things, meaningful things that he's done in your life or is doing right now. Go ahead and do that for a a few moments here. Thank you, Jesus. this attitude of thanksgiving this attitude will, will just dwell in us that we'll be able to give thanks in all things and that you'll make us a people who are a dwelling place in Christ a dwelling place of God in the spirit that you're, you're building a temple that we're in and that's in us all at the same time that the gates are constantly open of our heart every area that we've shut the door to you, every area that we've said, I'm not going to enter those gates if I have to bring an offering of thanksgiving. that you'd cause us to turn away from that, leave it aside and enter back into your gates so that we could swing wide our gates and the King of glory come right in. Make us a people of open doors, open gates. Thank you, Jesus, for reminding us. I pray if anyone struggled just now to even come up with 10 things to give you thanks for, would you awaken our memory banks? I bless every mind right now in Jesus' name that every memory of how God's been good, even memories where we misinterpreted life's events because we didn't involve you in it, that you'd help us remember and see your goodness, That looking back, your love and your mercy we would see in everything that we would be a people who begin to dwell in your presence and you dwell with us because we have such grateful hearts.